always depended on the kindness of strangers. All right, so he's not a regular rat or, or even a super rat. He's a scared little mouse, that's all. episode of The Real Woman, a podcast dedicated to all things cinematic. My guest today is Professor Jerry Carlson, and this is the second part of my On the Road series in New York. This episode is being recorded at City College uh, in, the, in New York. Uh, Professor Carlson? Yes, Emmy. <laughs> good to see you again. You Very too. good to see you. We have a little bit of history. Indeed we do, and, and for quite a while, I think. Yes. Uh, you were my first film professor at City College. In my youth. In, and in mine. Uh, in 1995. That sounds right. Uh, and it was a intro to film that had the horrible fortune of being uh, set at 8 in the morning. Oh, that one. Yes. Oh, that one, yeah. Yes. Uh, and so I was often arriving bleary-eyed. But you arrived. But I arrived. Uh, there may have been a couple of movies that I snoozed through, I will admit. <laughs> but, I would, but I only made sure that they were movies that I had seen already. Or, <laughs> or could see on VHS <laughs> again before the midterm. Yes, yes. Uh, but, uh, but so welcome. And uh, just... Give my listeners a little brief bio of uh, well, who's Jerry Carlson. Who's Jerry Carlson? Okay. <laughs> okay. No. So I'm uh, I'm a professor here at the City College of New York in beautiful Hamilton Heights, uh, West Harlem. Our university, City University of New York, also has a campus uh, in Midtown called the Graduate Center, where I also teach um, uh, film. Um, I'm somebody who is a member of a particular generation of people um, interested in, in, in film. I, uh, I, I will reveal numbers, Emmy. Um, <laughs> I graduated from college in 1972, which means that I was there at my particular college while film was actually being introduced into the curriculum. Um, there was a very dynamic professor, said they passed many years ago, filming. Charles Thomas Samuels, who gave these extraordinary classes on, on, film, uh, on film analysis, and we were the first people at that institution to ever take such courses. And so then when I decided you know, that I would like to you know, pursue this, film, uh, film scholarship, etc., it wasn't even clear that you went to a, uh, a school where the focus was exclusively uh, on film. So I ended up... Um, going to graduate school at the University of Chicago because they were very good at what's now called narratology, uh, narrative theory, but, but all just thinking about storytelling. Um, what was interesting was that while I was there, that university made its first hire exclusively in film. Uh, uh, a, somebody who you might have, we might have used one of his books, and of course you took from me, Gerald Mast, 
yes. who, uh, who who's well known for his a short history of the movies, mm -hmm. as well as he is one of the editors of the one of the most first most important anthologies of um, essays on film aesthetics, which was published by uh, the Oxford University Press, uh, etc. Uh, but I was actually even out of classes in graduate school when this guy arrived as the only hire in, in film. Um, again, uh, my first academic appointment was in an English department where I was the film guy mm -hmm. and hired, hired as such. Uh, a shift was taking place, so by the time I came to New York in the mid-80s, I was then hired not through a literature department, but by faculties that were dedicated to film or the performing or the performing arts. So, to, so today's students, when they go go to university and see, you know, there's a wealth of courses. The film courses are almost, you know, old hat mm -hmm. in the sense that there are other things these days. I mean, there are very good courses being offered at universities on television. Mm -hmm. There are very good courses on gaming and its relationship mm -hmm. to this kind of explosion of a media ecology uh, of, the, of the digital uh, revolution. So uh, people have to kind of remember that this is something pretty recent. It, yeah. the, the academy's always always changing and uh, you know I mean there were people who when I was in graduate school we did not get along but they thought oh well you know oh, just they're doing the movies you know <laughs> that, that 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 kind of that yeah. kind of thing so uh, yes so I've been at this for quite a while uh, and seen uh, you know seen in many ways the maturity of, of film studies uh, its acceptance in the American Academy and, 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 and globally. And it's something, uh, since we are shaped by the stories we tell, the stories we receive, the stories we interpret, and if we're going to be, if we're watching more things on screen these days, uh, we should have the tools for understanding all those things that we're, that we're consuming. Yeah. Uh, thank you. And so with that, um, the topic of this episode is going to be film noir which is one of my favorite uh, genres um, and one that I was introduced to in your class. I had seen some film noir before, but I didn't know that that was what that was. Uh, well, that's a very, that's a really interesting <laughs> information, that's an interesting observation because that's kind of how film noir as a concept was uh, was was created. Uh, should we talk about that? Yeah, yeah. Well, you, you know, the, the term film noir, which now, I mean, everybody who loves the movies knows that 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 term. So some people don't even think about the fact that it's a French term. Yeah. Uh, but of course, that it, the term comes from the fact that it was the French that first identified a group of films that they. Uh, viewed as very different from other American films they mm -hmm. seen. The primary difference they were seeing was that it, from, through the 30s, uh, we produced a number of just terrific uh, gangster films, mm -hmm. uh, you know, uh, uh, Little Caesar, The Roaring Twenties, mm -hmm. you know, etc. Et but when the French started looking at, at, at films we had produced in the 40s through the early 50s, they found that there had been this kind of enormous shift in, uh, you call it the tectonic plates of, of, of American uh, American crime film. Now, the question is, why 
why did the French make that observation before we did? Um, because the people who were then who were who had made film noirs didn't know they were making film noirs. The reason is what did they think they were making? Crime films or crime melodramas would probably okay. be the the, the 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 way, or a romantic crime film, yeah. something something that was um, not a gangster picture per se, maybe a police picture, detective detective picture. Um, you know, a, a, abs, absolutely. Um, the reason the, the, the French discovered it, as it were, is that, as, as folks will remember, the, the, the French, at least half the country, was occupied for many years. French were always one of the top two or three markets for American film. And there was, when you're occupied by the Germans, you don't get American films. Uh, so after the war, there was just this enormous thirst for American film. So all of this backlog mm -hmm. for years was was put in French cinemas. And, and that did two things. First of all, it helped create within a cinephilic culture to begin with a kind of cinephilic mania, mm -hmm. you know, that we get to catch up with, uh, with everything. But with that mania came this ability to see certain trends in a kind of compressed time, that is... They sort of binge-watched. Well, no, no, that's exactly sense. right. <laughs> no, 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 you're, you're, you're completely on the case. And again, uh, the, 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 the French cities, and most, but most particularly Paris, are really dotted with these smaller cinemas that have always had a tradition of changing programs and mm -hmm. people going all the time to them. And so this just put that on hyperdrive right. um, in this way. And so that's exactly right. People would go and instead of being in their living room or bedroom and binge watching, you know, on their computer or on, or, or on that, they were binge watching uh, in these in these little cinemas all, all, all over the cities. And so is there a year that the term film noir was coined? Like, can we say, point to this is when it well, there, there, there are the the most the most important date I would say is actually 1955 with the um, publication in France of the of the of a work that tries to define film noir and it's uh, published by uh, uh, Raymond Bourde and Etienne Chanton and that is actually um, has been in print in France since 1955. You can still go into, you know, an intellectually inclined bookstore anywhere in France. You go to the film section and you can buy the little Bourde Chanton book. Now, the, the, the key essay in it towards the definition of film noir was published in English many years ago. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's pretty easy to find. Uh, but then the, the probably 15 or 20 years ago, the entire book was published. So you can find it. You, right. you, you, can, you, uh, you, can, you can really find it. So I, I, that's... Um, it's then that uh, Americans, with the xenophilic generation mm -hmm. of, of Americans, and again, we're talking about the Paul Schraders, mm -hmm. the Martin Scorseses, mm -hmm. uh, this whole you know, generation of mm -hmm. the American Renaissance. Um, they're very interested in everything that's happening there. The, the Jonathan Demis. Yeah. Um, their youth is shaped by international... Um, Art cinema, and also by the, the kind of critical culture that was coming out of of, of of France, and this way in which it's sort of like you. It's like I saw this cool thing. What is it? 
and and, yeah. and and film noir was a kind of way of naming a particular you know a family of aesthetic forms, but also a particular sensibility that people had a, a, a yeah. feeling it all kind of fits together in and, some way. And that and that's interesting because because one of the reasons I think I'm drawn to film noir is this sort of long-standing debate between amongst scholars and academics is it a genre or is it a style or you know what is film noir exactly do we you know it's not a genre maybe in the sense of a western right but well I, i'm gonna i'm gonna say it's a it's 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 a it sometimes it's a genre and sometimes it's it's, it's not and i don't mean to be you know you know um sly about that but you know when when billy wilder makes double indemnity okay yes. he's not making a film noir he's making a brilliant uh, aesthetically rich adaptation of a cynical famous novel yeah um that uh you know is taking is is, is just it's just it was crime. actually true crime. Yeah, yeah. At the, that was had actually that movie was actually based on something similar that had happened in New York or Queens. That then becomes the inspiration it's, for the for the novel. So it was sort of a almost prototype of a true crime type of. Well, you, there, in a way. you, you know, there, yeah. There, there's there there is that aspect, and also you know you can never uh, how shall I put it? Never underestimate how important adaptation uh, is to the film to the film industry now by adaptation I don't just mean the um, you know buying a Broadway musical that is very very famous and all that I mean that that the development uh, departments of studios for years and the creative producers they're just looking for all kinds of materials that are telling com compelling stories and in a way, unrestricted by high culture categories, it was oh, we don't want to do that. It will be vulgar, you know. Uh, you know now those people that want to be vulgar would also, you know, are going to say, well, you, none of this is of a, a, a value. But what it does, what it does mean, is that people are willing to look at comic books. People are willing mm -hmm. to look at very popular fiction that is not accepted by the literary establishment. As, as 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 literary, but that is compelling to many many uh, people. You know, it, it, it's interesting to just remember that uh, somebody like Stephen King, who is now uh, thought of as a great American storyteller of the 20th century, as in, as, as indeed he was. You know, 40 years ago when he was a very young man and very very prolific, it was like, oh yeah yeah yeah, those are you know those are those are the subway novels or the, the yeah. summer beach. Also. Yeah, Opinions change about the aesthetic value right. um, of these things, but so so Wilder just to come back, he's he's doing an adaptation. Uh, he's doing a crime story mm -hmm. that may based both in a novel and antecedent of and and antecedent events. But you know, by uh, by the time Lawrence Kasdan is doing Body Heat, this is mm -hmm. over thirty years ago now. Because Body Heat's not a new film. Lawrence Kasdan's making a film noir because he knows what film noir is. It's been it's been defined. There's been all these 
works, you know, whether it be, um, you know, the Killers, Crisscross, the Maltese, Falcon, mm -hmm. uh, that have been brought into this category. So you go to it, and, and all of a sudden, you know, it's like one of those things, you put all this stuff together, and you said, oh, wow, you know, I was viewing them separately, but now I see all the commonalities. And then once you've seen all those commonalities, then you're dealing with it as a genre. Even though many people who may have made the first, in the first great era, uh, you know, up to the mid to late 50s, they, they you know, is oh, you mean that some French people liked our movie and, and, <laughs> and called it a film moral? Well, that's great. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. 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 Um, so is there a first film noir? Is there a movie that would be considered this is the first film noir? Well, uh, th there are, uh, there are uh, <laughs> debates yes. about uh, uh, about those things, uh, I I've got a candidate that I'd like to push. Okay. Okay. Um, I mean, now, now there are certainly uh, something like the Maltese Falcon and the way in which it separates itself um, in every way from previous. If you see the previous adaptations of the Dashiell Hammett yeah. work, I mean, they're, they're just they're it's a completely different universe. And by the time you get to the Maltese Falcon. You're in a noir universe that's not in, in the other films. So that's a very that's a very popular choice, and certainly one can make that argument. And I'm I'm not I'm not against it. However, I want to plug something. Okay. I want to plug the Stranger on the Third Floor okay. by Boris Ingster, made at RKO. Because. Um, and what year is that? Uh, this is forty or forty-one, but it's out okay. before before Maltese Falcon. It is a B-level production in terms of its of its budget, and certainly in terms of its uh, and certainly in terms of its casting. Mm -hmm. Okay, uh, and it's very very it's brief. I think it's under eighty-five minutes, maybe closer to seventy-five or eighty. However. It is a it is a, a film that the major antagonist is played um, by the same person who happens to have been in Fritz Lang's M, okay, um, and the Peter Lorre himself, okay. and it is a uh, the, the the premise. And it even has a little noir. And, and we'll, we'll talk about precedence to noir. We, 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 we will. We yeah. will. We will. Uh, but 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 for me, the, the strange on the third floor is when a bunch of things kind of pull together. Nobody knows they're making noir, but when you look back at it, so what's the premise? The premise is there's a young couple who are just a young couple who've come to the city and they're kind of in love and they're you know we're hoping they're going to get married and then all of a sudden there's a set of murders, and the um, you know the young fellow is the murders pinned on him because the police need it, mm -hmm. but he didn't do it mm -hmm. because there is a serial killer played by Peter Laurie, who is the real guy, mm -hmm. and the um, girlfriend uh, has to go, has to you know clear her mm -hmm. her boyfriend of this. Okay, so far so far so good, but. RKO at that at, at that moment had absolutely first-rate technicians and first-rate de de departments, and Inkster was part of the Europeans who had come fleeing uh, fleeing the Nazis. He, really, he made his money later in 
producing television. Okay, but he had this chance to do this, and the film is full of nightmare sequences. Mm -hmm. There's a trial in which you, you're thinking that that how how frequently did he read Kafka before? You know, <laughs> yeah. he does. He designed this, and it, it's it's a it's part of you know what a number of people have called the genius of the system that this is a highly experimental work okay does it does this one end happily yeah it does and that's not a big plot spoiler but happily but not in the sense that yeah the couple's united and all and, and all that but one of the things that film noir does that's different from other genres like the thriller or the gangster picture is that film noir sets up tension that it ultimately does not fully resolve. Mm -hmm. So even though if there's a solution to the plot, there is a kind of residue mm -hmm. of uh, what we'll call the uncanny, this incredible not-at-homeness mm -hmm. in the world. And so you say, well, yeah, they got cleared, but, you know, but the city is still full of this in mm -hmm. some, um, in, 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 in some sense. They didn't come away unscathed. Right. Yeah, yeah, and, and, and the spectator, that's a good point, but it's also that the spectator doesn't, because the spectator's sense of release at the end isn't of total, isn't of total release, and indeed, you know, film noirs of one stripe or another, uh, when they've been under pressure from studio, uh, you know, story guidance or whatever, sometimes they, they, they give happy endings that are, you know, conspicuously... Uh, false. Um, you know, I think one of the most famous of those is actually Hitchcock's Psycho, in which the uh, mm -hmm. at the end of the film, after they've caught you know the serial killer, uh, etc., this uh, fellow who's the police psychiatrist comes in and starts yeah. giving this this explanation, and and, and most audiences are saying, well. I'm, I'm not sure that still gets rid of this guy to give this explanation. Yeah. And then uh, Hitchcock um, uh, juxtaposes with the narration images of horror that undermine the power of the words. And that's a very... And of course, that smile at the end. Yeah, absolutely. There's the smile of the mother's, of the mother's, of the mother's skeleton. And that's, that's, that's the kind of real noir ending that, yeah. okay, you capture the person, but, but that thing working, that, 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 Death mask smile of a yeah. skeleton is forever lingering. And I would even say, I would even put forth Hitchcock's um, suspicion, mm -hmm. which you're kind of supposed to assume that everything is okay at the end, but the more times I see it, I think, I'm not so sure. <laughs> I mean, I know that they, at the time, they'd say, well, Cary Grant can't be. A bad guy, but there's it lingers, right? There's a there's a feeling at the end as they drive off that you think I'd be interested to see what this is like and what these people are like in a few years, right? If she's still around in a few years, you know? no, 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 and 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 that's the that's a kind of. Uh, power that certain filmmakers create that can't really be dispelled by mm -hmm. by formulaic by formulaic re, 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 resolutions and it occasionally happens outside of of, of Nora's nor as well you know at the after the at the end of jaws after the um, after the shark is blown <laughs> up 
you know, and they're and they're swimming back to shore yes. uh, after that, and somebody you thought was dead is actually not dead, and all that. I'm sorry, plot spoilers, kids. Uh, but uh, <laughs> uh, you know, on that still, there's a kind of sense of well, uh, there might be other sharks in that ocean, you know. Yes. So I'm not so sure this is quite. I'm not so sure just blowing up one shark gets rid of the whole problem here. Yeah, they got rid of today's problem, but the yeah. ocean may be full. I don't know, of the but problem. I want to just hang out in this ocean. <laughs> right? No, that's yeah. exactly. But 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 noir is is the the group of films or, or, or genre that, is, along perhaps with horror, that is masterful, you know, mm-hmm. uh, in, in, in that. And, and, and noir draws, you know, from uh, multiple uh, traditions. I mean, just to say three obvious things, you've got American crime fiction mm-hmm. of the uh, uh, people like Dashiell Hammett and uh, Raymond, Raymond, uh, Raymond, Raymond Chandler, Horace McCoy, uh, who have this, um, you know, very dark vision of American uh, society and, and American capitalism and American optimism? Uh, that so that you got that you got that one line. You've got um, all of this European anxiety that's <laughs> yes. generated by European events that gets exported to the United States when all of these incredibly gifted people, not only directors, but writers, cinematographers, mm-hmm. art directors, composers, they've got to get out of, of Nazi of Nazi controlled Europe and so they end up here and they and they bring that European the German expressionism. Absolutely. They bring all of these forms of modernism. They, 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 they bring expressionism. Uh, they bring uh, certain forms of the French impressionism that's very mm-hmm. interested in, in the feelings and interior states mm-hmm. of, 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 char- of characters. So you get, I mean, quite directly, you get the people who come from the, from the Central European Germanic tradition, and then you get the people who come from the tradition of... Uh, French uh, poetic uh, realism. Most particularly, I'm thinking of something like Marcel Carnet's Le Jour Sénève, uh, Daybreak. Mm-hmm. Um, Port, with, Port of Shadows. Port of, Port of Shadows. These, these um, collabor- collaborations of, um, of, of Carnet with a particular team of, of, uh, of, uh, of people who, you know, cr- create uh, a doomed world. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but, and highly, uh, you know, Inflected with the subjectivity of the uh, of the of, of the characters, um, so I mean, so you have multiple strains from Europe as well as having uh, this slightly less than always reputable fiction. Although now we would consider, you know, Hammett and Chandler and several others as as uh, you know canonical authors, um, but you know. Even when I was in graduate school years ago, when, when I had a professor all of a sudden started, you know, talking about the prose style of Dashiell Hammett, uh, quite appropriate. So I'm, you know, I'm, yeah. I'm uh, that. I, I said, hmm, I think there's some other people in this department who wouldn't want him to be talking about. <laughs> well, well, you know. Yeah. So. And I would say he, um, horror. Oh, the, 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 the universal horror uh you know, Dracula and Frankenstein and the Mummy and those movies were Absolutely. sort of fed into had a, a sort of paranoia. Absolutely correct. Uh, that 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 you know was a predecessor, um, and I would say 
I guess they're about the same time, but I feel like even though Val Luton is not necessarily seen as a film noir director, I think that a movie like Cat People has a lot of well, the style in it. Well, no, I, I think the, the, the style is again linked to, um, I, I'm, I'll, I'll go into this a little bit, to this whole sense of the relationship between the, the film noir, certain other genres, and the whole idea of the uncanny, mm-hmm. which is not a word we use that that much. And it, it, it's from a German word, Unheimlich, that, mean, that has two different aspects to it. German language has many aspects to it, I'm told, since I don't speak the language. Uh, and, no, no, but one of them, and but both of them you'll immediately see is related to, to, to noir. One of the senses of this word is a radical not-at-homeness, okay? Mm-hmm. And uh, that's different from suspense, of being that I'm in this world, but, I, but I'm not at home mm-hmm. in, the, in the world. Sometimes I explain it as, as if... Um, if, if anybody's ever had a horrible experience, but I don't wish upon anybody, of having suffered a burglary, you come mm-hmm. and then you're in your own space, but it's no longer your space because it's been violated in some right. way. And that, there's that aspect that, that noir and horror do, that, 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 that there's this, this sense of the unhomeliness of the world. Whereas a lot of genres, you know, romantic comedy, the musical, mm-hmm. dominantly, not, not in every example, they're all about repair and giving you a nice home in the world. Yes. Uh, you're making you feel, even if you're not at home in the world while you're watching that movie, you're in a homely, um, right. homely world. I would say, though, that I've always found it very interesting that the musical 42nd Street mm-hmm. actually has some very dark tones to it and does not necessarily have and end on a happy note well you're talking about my kind of musical baby <laughs> because because um uh look I, I will i will i will probably get hate letters to your podcast for, <laughs> for saying this but but you see i'm uh, i am not very sympathetic to what is actually our great films and our great popular Americans. So there is a particular strain of the musical re- represented by Roger and Hammerstein that yes. if if I've been a bad boy, Emmy, <laughs> and I go to that other place, they will be playing Rogers and Hammerstein, you know, for forever because I, I you know, that, that will be that mean, no, no, don't yeah. play this stuff, please. I don't want to watch that man out of my hair anymore. Yeah. Um, but the other strain, the one that you're talking about, is um, again, I think, comes from some European antecedents, probably more than anything from the from the drama of the great German Bertolt Brecht, in which there there there's a kind of anti-musical aspect um, mm-hmm. uh, to them. Uh, they're they're dark. You see this much later in something like uh, all that jazz by mm-hmm. uh, these are. Cabaret. Cabaret. These are profoundly critical of societies, and the songs are working in, in, you know, in comment and other ways. So, no, it's not as if there's no relationship between, you know, all genres can cross on certain terms. and Mm -hmm. Maybe they don't do it every day, and there's more common forms of crossing uh, than others. But, uh, you know, yeah, there can be a a noir musical. The one other thing I wanted to say about the uncanny was the second aspect that also leads to the sense of being unsettled, 
is that some stories sometimes reveal things that they shouldn't reveal. And once certain things, certain things have been revealed, they can never be taken back. They're perpetually unsettling. Let me give you the, the, the example I sometimes talk about. So, you know, let's put you on a nice middle-class block somewhere in, in, in America, and there's the retired, um, you know, postman down, down, down the street. Nice folks, been retired for a bunch of years, guys, you know, getting, get, get, getting along, etc. And for whatever reason, you're in the library, you're looking at this and that, you find out that 40 or 50 years ago, he was actually convicted of child molestation. Now, this is the nice old man who lives down the block, okay? And there's been none of that behavior in all the time you've lived in the block. He's the nicest guy, and we're saying, let's just write the nice scenario. He is completely reformed or, or, or whatever. But is your view ever the same of him because that's been revealed? You, that, that piece of knowledge that you have can never be taken back. And that's one of the kinds of things that film noir and, and certain horror films will also, also do. It'll give you some information about some situations. And, mm, that's, not, that's kind of hard for us to come back to normal after that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I feel like Hitchcock sort of did that a bit with Shadow of a Doubt. Well, that's a very good. That's a very good. It's a very good example of um, once our female protagonist begins to suspect who Uncle Charlie is, mm -hmm. uh, then then it's over. I mean, you know, she had built a wonderful and fantasy Uncle Charlie mm -hmm. through her mother's stories and all that, and then can't you can't go back to that Charlie? You can't go back to that Charlie. Yeah, yeah. So. We've sort of talked about thematically what film noir or, uh, is. Are, is there a, um, a look to, to film noir that you would say that, you know, if you turn on a movie and say, oh, well, that's a film noir, without even knowing what it's about, per se? Um, you know, I, I don't like uh, uh, kind of pure essentialist definitions yeah. and, and all that. But the way to... to um, uh, to, I think to talk about this is um, in what film noir in a number of ways refuses to do, okay? Mm -hmm. And the standard uh, procedure in making a movie, and certainly making most television, is if you're going to invest in a set, you, you want the maximum visibility of the talent you're paying for, mm -hmm. the costumes you're paying for, and the this and the that. And, and sometimes you get a you get the good luck that nature's given you that set, so you've got Monument Valley mm -hmm. or something, something like something like that. So the world is knowable through the visible mm -hmm. in most Hollywood films and most Hollywood genres mm -hmm. before before this. And one of the things about film noir is that the world it's not only frightening and unsettling, but perhaps it's not knowable in the way you mm -hmm. thought the world was no was knowable. And so that's where the whole notion of various lighting schemes mm -hmm. that do not direct you towards clarity, that things remain in shadows or things are graded in all kinds of ways or angles are used so that the so-called normal eye level 
uh, angle is not is is not used. So film noir messes with how we can know the world visually, mm -hmm. and also that the world is kind of just neutrally there to be observed. Because the other thing that film noir does through a number of these stylistic devices is um, you know allies how the world is portrayed with how the, the, the characters feel about the world. I mean, you can become scared because you walk into a dark place. Right. Okay, and that's one line of causality. But you can also be photographed in a dark, you know, in a dark place, and that can say in a number of ways that you're coming from a very dark place psychologically or emotionally or, or, or whatever. So this is whole play with... Um, light, shadow, angle, framing, um, that according to the particular story and the particular character is in the service of either reinterpreting that away from what the normal interpretation would be or kind of, of, of calling into question, uh, as, as, I, as I just said, um, our, our capacity to really understand everything or, or, and also to take control of. And, and you know, and it's interesting because, on the one hand, yes, I when I think noir, I definitely think shadows, and yet there's a film like Ida Lupino's The Hitchhiker, mm -hmm. which is in broad daylight in the desert, and it's not, it doesn't really. I mean, there there are night scenes where there are shadows, but she sort of takes noir and does it. Well, I, in the sun. No, no, you're. And you're, it's very scary. No, and you, and and you, you couldn't be more right about that. <laughs> uh, about that, I mean, and so there are people. That, that's why I don't want to de define it. I didn't want to define it um, exclusively. Yeah. By, by these things, because it's it's what all of this is is used. Four. So mm -hmm. I'll, I'll I'll give you a, a parallel example of the Hitchhiker because I think the Hitchhiker is a great you know uh, a great example and we should recommend this to people. Ida Lupino's or Centenary. So mm -hmm. watch Ida Lupino's the Hitchhiker. The Hitchhiker. Yes. Uh, the, the Hitchhiker. Uh, but again, the joke about uh, about Fargo is that it's a film noir completely in blizzard white. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, 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 but it, you know, but again, the, 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 that all the white and all of that—that that, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna describe two two things about Far Fargo because I taught it uh, taught it again fairly recently. I mean, one thing would be just like there's all these scenes which you can't see the world, mm -hmm. the, the, you know, the, you're literally being blinded by the white as much as you could be yeah. blinded by the dark. Or there's a scene in which the Steve was saying character is hiding some stuff and he stopped the car and he's hiding it you know by a fence <laughs> yes. and that and you're looking around and you're saying this is really not going to work out <laughs> because yes. because when you hide something you're supposed to hide it in a place where you'll know where it is <laughs> and it seems like there's no way you know, now, mind you, he's recently been shot in the face, so right. he can be forgiven for a certain lack of judgment at that particular <laughs> at that particular moment in the story. But yeah. but still, the, the film noir likes that kind of of, of 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 observation that you're 
you're hiding this in a place in which it will remain so hidden you'll never find it. Yeah. In case yeah. you don't bleed out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, and that's, and that, you know, I find that interesting in terms of, I know that there are purists who say, you know, well, real, true film noir is black and white or is of a certain time period, but I think that there's certainly um, contemporary noirs that are in bright color. Oh, sure, uh, absolutely. Like um, Memento. Absolutely. Or, or, or L.A. Confidential, or um, uh, Memento's one of my favorites. But The Usual even, Suspects? The Usual Suspects, yes. Uh, and even, when I, while I don't love The Terminator, I do, I always find it humorous, the scene where he's, the Terminator is walking through the club, and it says "Tech Noir" Absolutely, behind yeah. him. It's like he's telling you, "This is what this is. This is a Tech Noir." I would say Blade Runner is very, is in a way a Tech Noir. Absolutely. Um, so there's that idea that there can be um, that Noir can go into can sort of run through a lot of different genres. Well, I, I think you're absolutely correct on that, and, and that's also because film noir has been, by the time you're talking about the 80s, uh, mm -hmm. when of uh, Blade Runner and of uh, 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 The Terminator, uh, film noir has been kind of canonized in a certain kind yes. of way. So when you're canonized, you can be cannibalized. Yes. Uh, and so, because uh, it's there for 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 the using in a certain sense, and you know, and people like James Cameron, who's mm -hmm. you know is a, is a quite a young man when he has his breakout film, uh, the, the, the 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 Terminator. He's again grown up in this utterly xenophilic culture, in which this whole notion of uh, genre hybridity. How do you uh, you know? It's, it's both marketing, but it's also storytelling. Mm -hmm. How do you make something new? Well, make it new the way you make um, a, a new fruit. You put two things together and see if you can come up with something, yeah. something different and a little bit, uh, and a little bit better. Yeah. Um, moving back a few years. Um, Why not? <laughs> into the what I think are really the just wonderful, what they would refer to as the B movie mm -hmm. noirs. Um, I'm thinking of. Edgar Elmer's Detour, yeah, indeed, or uh, 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 Gun Crazy, right, which has one of my favorite scenes of or shots really of the two of them when they're hiding out in like tall grass. Mm -hmm. It looked, and I just think Kurosawa had to have seen this movie because that shot looks to me like you know. A Kurosawa film, Seven Samurais, they're coming out of the, uh, you know. Well, it, it, um, sorry we can't dial up Akira and ask him. Yes. He's, he's gone. But, 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 but it's not, um, you know, it's not an off-the-wall observation at all because, I mean, again, um, American film as well as, as well as American literature, popular and literary, were translated into... The movies were shown in Japan, and the, the books were, were translated. And, you know, um, uh, High and Low is an adaptation of an Ed McBain uh, novel. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, there's, there's a... You bring up this very interesting point of 
film noir, which is which is initially is able as this this incredibly American thing that mm -hmm. happened in America. But film noir has always been in a kind of global conversation with other genres mm -hmm. and other traditions, both in terms of those sources we were talking about mm -hmm. that, move, that move into the 40s films, but also when you move, you know, out into uh, out into the world. There's a, this ongoing conversation, and I, I think uh, since we Americans mm -hmm. are rather good at distributing our films around the world, yes. um, so that, you know, you can go into, and, and I have, you can go into a DVD shop, uh, legit or pirate, uh, <laughs> in China, and you can get uh, every Chinese film you want, but you can get every Russian film you want, you can get every French film mm -hmm. you want. I mean, it, it, it's, it's a market, and that means that people have really um, seen this stuff. I mean, that you know... That Robert C. Odmack and, and Billy Wilder and Frank Zinnemann and all of these, uh, you know, Hollywood-based noir directors, though they were all more than just noir directors, um, you know, their legacy, their legacy lives in the DVD streaming and Blu-ray archons mm -hmm. that are in circulation around the world. And people um, find film noir to be a kind of incredible uh, instrument to look into the psychology of the people they know in their country or culture or mm -hmm. city or whatever, or or into, you know, uh, actually put it, uh, social conditions. Mm -hmm. there, there is, you know, there's a strain of more that moves much towards the psychological and, and the... Uh, and the isolated individual. But then there's the other strain of film noir, uh, the police procedurals, mm -hmm. etc., that really is, you know, puts the camera on the street and mm -hmm. uh, looks at the relationship between what used to be called deviancy and, yeah. so and, and, and yeah. society and, yeah. and finds out that they're not strange bedfellows, they're yeah. constant bedfellows. Yeah, yeah. no, I, I, and I definitely think that those... Um, B movies, you know, and they're really they're B movies based on budget, not B in terms of product that is created. Uh, uh, but like Detour, like um, I was a fugitive from a chain gang, right. um, which is I think more um, on the psychological mm -hmm. isolation side, um, and and then more on the procedural side is you know. Uh, uh, what you were mentioning, but um, I I think that uh, we'll just talk a little bit about those B B movie noirs that maybe some people are not as familiar with, like because we all know Maltese Falcon and Double Indemnity and yeah, which are all A level production, A level and, and wonderful, yeah, right. um, but and Sunset Boulevard, right? Um, well, okay. First of all, you have to. There's a reason, and it's a good. It's a good reason why some of these films are are so creative because they were made on a tight schedule. They were pre-booked. I mean, everybody knew that there was going to be a, that you got to deliver a certain number of movies at a certain time. It's much more the B movies in one sense. 
this may sound strange, is much more like some of the creativity that we're finding in television mm -hmm. uh, today. Yeah. Because in some of the things that's happening in television, that's happening in streaming, it's like, okay, we, you put in an order and you know where that's going to go and you, mm -hmm. you know that. Well, it's already been, how should I put it? It's all, the, the profit margin, you know, everybody would always be happy if it goes up, but there's a great deal to be said for a profit margin that is always, you know, in the right direction, not in the red, mm -hmm. and in the black, and predictable. Yeah. So, the, so the B films, so the B films serve that role. So you get, you, you got to have a story. It's got to be a certain length, and you have a budget that gives you X number of days of shooting. But kind of beyond that. Not there's not the, the the intense supervision that a gone with the wind gets in which right. you know you're doing this so you're kind of left alone, um, and unless you do something terribly terribly wrong, is incompetent, then the film is going to get out there and do it. So that it becomes a kind of of of, of, of laboratory mm -hmm. uh, in its own in its own way, and uh, uh, where creative people could could try things out, and certainly certainly. Uh, it's very important for, uh, for, for, for for film noir. A lot of people who, uh, you know, in the late 40s and early 50s, there's a lot of people who, uh, like Anthony Mann, Richard Fleischer, who were making, you know, just terrific lower-budget films. Kubrick, but, even. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah, absolutely. That's where Kubrick, Kubrick begins, Killer's yeah. Kiss. And, and, you know, I mean... The, the, the Killing, which is a great film, yeah. uh, but it's not a it's it's not Spartacus. <laughs> it's, not, it's not Barry Lyndon. It's not two thousand and one. Yeah. He's working. He's you know working in the genre of the heist film. Um, mm -hmm. In in a lot of ways, in the shadow of the asphalt jungle, mm -hmm. um, uh, to do to do a new variation um, on uh, on that. You know, and again, years later. Uh, <clears throat> when, when uh, certain aspects of the normal organization of the industry have been have been challenged by new ideas, that's when people get okay. Well, just make some stuff for us. We yeah. got to get product and all that, and that's when people um, get more freedom that you would expect them to, to have because nobody's nobody's paying attention, and sometimes nobody paying attention can do some good things. <laughs> yes, uh, so. I want to touch briefly on uh, the movie The Heiress, which is not usually, uh, to my knowledge, considered a film noir. And yet, I think that there are a lot of elements of it that are film noir. Um, well, should we, should we remind people that this is an adaptation of Henry James's novel, Washington, Washington Square. Square? Yes. And it's about a young woman who is still unmarried with a domineering father yes. who is being courted by a young man whose motives may not be fully honorable. Yes, yes. And I think it's uh, worth noting that the, well, the actress is Olivia de Havilland, the wonderful Olivia de Havilland, mm -hmm. and... The, the man courting her is Montgomery Clift. And I would say that few men in Hollywood were as attractive or as pretty as Montgomery right. Clift. And so he sort of, I feel like with that movie, they sort of um, change the 
character of the femme fatale and make it a man, a pretty man, is sort of an homme fatale. Okay, yeah. Uh, uh, you know, because he's, his, his, you know, his goals are a little dubious. Yeah. One, uh, one of the things we haven't talked about is um, the degree to which uh, film noir, one of the, the story patterns, can be of someone who has been duped or someone yes. uh, in some way, and then um, the, the, one of the phrases people use is the person then is turned into a, 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 an avenger, but then the, the noir twist is that it's a tainted avenger. Mm-hmm. Um, that, uh, that, wait a minute, okay, it is right to get back, but, hmm, how far do you go in, 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 in doing that? I mean, for example, uh, let me flash forward just for a second, Travis Bickle in The Taxi Driver. Yes. I mean, you and I do not endorse child prostitution. No. And so I think the whole idea of saving somebody from child prostitution is a good thing that we're all going to be on side of. I'm not sure we... We're we not, go a little too far. <laughs> Travis kind of takes takes it a, a you know a little too far. Yeah. You know, and, and so yeah. he's he's like the Uber yes. <laughs> version of the tainted adventure. The Uber taxi driver, which is interesting. Oh, you know, I, thank you. You know, I, I somewhere in my unconscious, the taxi driver and Uber got linked, and so uh, yeah, sorry about that. So, it, 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 really, it wasn't intentional, but, th- but thank you. Thank, thanks for doing that for me, Emmy. But but so let's go back let's go back to the to the uh, to, to the heiress because I think it's very interesting you would you it's a film I happen to deeply admire and know mm-hmm. kind of frame by frame uh, frame by frame. Here's what I here's one of the things I would say. I I, I happen to also know the 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 the, the novel well, and the novel is very much a woman's coming of age story. Mm-hmm. Okay, and. The uh, the film is not as interested in that uh, right. at all. It really is interested in how hard nosed she can become, and the the film ends up having a, a very um, uh, symmetrical plot as opposed to the kind mm-hmm. of growth plot. There's this whole thing. There's a setup, and then there's the counter setup uh, with which she you know. She takes him down. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. She takes him down. Uh, I, I would say, you know, I think it's interesting that one of the aspects of film noir is certainly that um, uh, a basically decent person gets drawn into uh, criminal behavior in some way, usually mm-hmm. accidentally. And while she doesn't commit a crime, she certainly does things for him that are outside of the norm of what she would normal, you know, what she would do. She's, you know, running off in the middle of the night to see him, which was would definitely be considered a crime by her father. Absolutely correct. You know, she's not breaking a, a law that she could be arrested for, but she's certainly breaking rules according to the society that she lives in. Uh, and he definitely... No, he lures her, lures her yeah, into that. Uh, 
And whether or not the ending is a positive ending, I think could be debated. You know? Are we going to do plot spoilers on that? It's been out long enough. Okay, okay, okay. 1948. Okay, yeah. If you haven't seen it, you should see right. it. Well, let, let me let me uh, make a make a further point in in favor of your argument, and that is that that uh, Weiler is of course one of the directors most famous for using um, staging in depth of field, mm -hmm. and this is a domestic story, etc. But instead of this just being about this house on Washington Square. Mm -hmm. there, this is a film that transforms space a great deal. That is, it's inflected in one way. First of all, it's supposed to be, she's a, she's a wealthy doctor's daughter with every advantage in, in, in life. And this is a, you know, an upper middle class, haute bourgeois, mm -hmm. uh, 19th century home. And yet, it's also viewed as a prison. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. uh, so there's the, the, there are ways in which the, the what what would be the straightforward meaning of the space, just social status and comfort and all that, mm -hmm. gets really twisted uh, in the in, in the film. And those kinds of transformations, which we talked about a little bit earlier, mm -hmm. those kinds of transformations from well, wait a minute, maybe this is very homely, but is it? Too much at home here. I mean, is mm -hmm. she trapped here, or as, or is this a perverse sense of being at home, or to what degree does she have to get out, or that he has to get in? It's a, you know, so so a lot. I think the film has a lot of those um, transformations of space that's characteristic of a uh, film noir, even though none of it. There's some of it's done in shadow, but it's not clearly a dark picture no, of those no, ways. No, yeah. no, it definitely has sort of a Typical Hollywood lighting, right? Uh, but no, I just I, I over the years that I've seen it, I've thought there are. So when it comes strings. on, you watch. I yes, okay. yes, yes. Well, it's uh, quite a compelling. It's really quite a compelling uh, film. Uh, may I uh, reveal something that I actually published an article on it forty years ago? Yes. <laughs> really? Yeah, absolutely. It was my graduate school advisor. He said, oh, somebody sent in this book proposal, and why don't you write on um, Henry James and, and Washington and, and Washington Square? So, yeah. I, so that's why I know the film <laughs> so, 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 yeah. so, so well, and, you know, and have a great fondness for it. And just say we are still blessed that the gifted Olivia de Havilland um, is at the time of this taping. Uh, still with us, um, among yes. us, one of the in one of the Paris. greats in Paris, one of the greats of the of the golden age of Hollywood, um, still so gracing this earth. Yeah. Yes, yes, uh, and it always um, it's funny. The first time I saw it, I actually saw it with my mom, and I remember saying, because she was sort of she had, I was young, and she was sort of giving me a sort of a build up and saying, well, this is a an, unattr an unattractive sort of homely woman who's, you know, in this, and I remember watching it and saying, thinking, she's not unattractive. <laughs> like, why would you, I'd say, well, I don't think she's so unattractive. What's wrong, you know, and, and she said, well, no, but by Hollywood standards, they, yeah. you know, she was sort of considered, certainly compared to her sister, as the less, the lesser attractive, right. um, which you know, 
Yeah, in my world, I thought, well, if Olivia de Havilland is the lesser attractive. <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay, good point. Well, <laughs> you know? a, point a point well taken. Yeah, I, know, I have to say. That's, that, that, uh, that is, well, again, I want to give some credit to, you know, to, to Weiler on uh, on this because, you know, he was true to the dramatic needs of, of that story and others. This, this famously, um, I think Samuel Goldwyn showed up on the set of of Wuthering Heights. I don't know if this is a true story or apocryphal story, mm -hmm. but it's a useful mm -hmm. story. And and uh, Laurence Olivier was there, uh, and he's placed Heathcliff in his younger days, mm -hmm. and he's he's all smeared up, and and you know, Goldwyn is is you know goes 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 crazy over the fact that um, why is he paying so much for an actor that nobody can see his face clearly? <laughs> yeah. And 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 the point was that that, that Weiler was one of those directors. Who understood you? You serve. You serve. You serve the actor by serving the story, and vice, uh, and, and vice versa. And, and that's why Olivia de Havilland. We see yeah. these these transformations. That is not the Olivia de Havilland we see as. And I loved her as a child, mm -hmm. as the faithful companion of Errol Flynn in. Yeah. In, in um, I think it's almost a, a, a little less than a dozen movies mm -hmm. in which she's she's paired with him, in which she's the most beautiful, chipper young woman on the planet. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, here she's, she's, she's playing closer to her, her, her age and playing against um, mm -hmm. that, youthful, that youthful beauty. Yeah, no, I, I, and I think that's interesting, that the, the idea of, you know, serving the actor and serving the, 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 the film. Um, you know, Hitchcock, going back to Psycho, does that, why would you kill Janet Leigh? <laughs> <laughs> period. Yeah, right, As right. opposed, you know, not to mention, you know, twenty minutes in. Right. Um, you know, to talk about paying for an actress that you're not gonna see, even well, see for very long. Uh, you know. You know, um, that's all part of. Um, it's an enduring part of the uh, of the industry. The 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 industry. Is kept lively by the fact that it that it always attracts these um, for many reasons, not just a single reason. It, it many attracts all these entrepreneurial people. This that they want to do this, they, mm -hmm. they they want to do that, and that brings new capitals infrequently. It also means it brings new ideas. It means that um, you, you know it's it's both a it's both a closed club and an open world at the same yeah. at, at the same time. And so that means you get sometimes you get all this energy, but then you just get some. Really ignorance, <laughs> ideas, or, yeah. or or whatever. You get the person who did a one weekend seminar, you know, on screenwriting, who's all of a sudden you know world class story expert, yeah. And, yeah. and you say no, <laughs> you know, but 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 maybe if you invest a million dollars in my movie, you are <laughs> right, right, right. So so where do you see film noir um, now? Like, is the what would you are there is it more represented in film or in in TV? And it, where is film noir that you that you've seen? Well, here's a couple of uh, I have a couple of thoughts about uh, thoughts about that. I mean, first of all, since it's been codified for so many years, you find it you don't find it in one place. You find it in many places. But something like the uh, success of the HBO series True Detective mm -hmm. uh, means that people really believe investing in the highest level of talents and uh, in, 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 in making 
materials like this. I think people are always, there's going to be the kind of, you call it the Sundance indie strain, that mm -hmm. there's going to be some people who are coming from below, and there's always going to be, um, you know, low budget, relatively low budget noirs of, of, of quality. It's 30 years later, but, you know, uh, the Coen Brothers breakthrough was Blood Simple, you know, yeah. independently made, um, you know, noir set in Austin. Yeah, um, which is really rare. I because I when you think of noir, you tend to think the coasts. Right. Yeah. It's either New York or L.A. or San Francisco. I mean, it's either the East Coast or the West Coast. A friend of mine said there aren't any. Uh, you call them uh, farm noirs <laughs> or barn noirs. <laughs> right, right, <laughs> That's right. not a. You yeah, know, yeah, it's yeah. not in the Midwest. It's on the coast. Right, right. By the way, I'm, I'm sorry to do this to you, but I, I must defend Chicago as a very noir city. Um, yes, yes. I, the third I, coast. I, the third coast. <laughs> yes, I, I, I yes. spent many very happy years living in that city. Yes. And many of those were because of many of its noir. Yes. Uh, of its noir quality. So, so you have, uh, you're going to see it within the American industry. You're, you're going to, it's, it's now just there. So you're going to see it from the, from the, in the under, underbelly. There's always people going to be mm -hmm. trying to do do that you, you now now it's something that people like HBO or Hulu or Netflix mm -hmm. you know will uh, will will in, will in, will in, will invest in um, obviously somebody may have we just saw um, it took years and years and years we saw a huge investment in something like the Blade Runner sequel yes. you know yeah. and since Blade Runner is sci-fi noir yeah. um, uh, and, and you, you it, has its own visual innovation comparable to that of over 30, uh, 30 years ago. But, having said all of that, I'm really interested in the degree to which film noir is still deeply engaged in this international conversation mm -hmm. and the way in which you can have people working in Turkey or mm -hmm. Cuba or China. Mm -hmm. uh, obviously, we've had this huge outbreak of uh, outbreak. I call it well, outbreak is probably right because this uh, of 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 so-called Scandinavian uh, noir, both mm -hmm. in the in the production of novels, um, but also something like the uh, the novels of Henning Munkel that were mm -hmm. turned into TV series there that then is picked up by BBC and then reshot in Sweden in English by the BBC for the the exportation to the international audience for which English is a touchstone language. Yeah. Um, um, so I, I find that uh, you know uh, very uh, very interesting. I've, I've been watching in uh, in, uh, in recent years I've, I've, I've seen some uh, uh, Chinese noir that I thought was extraordinary. I mean, it's been almost twenty years old now, but but uh, Suzhou River is a film that uh, you know echoes uh, um, among the the kind of disenfranchised youth of of uh, Shanghai as it transforms itself. The, the the story echoes, though the filmmaker claims he didn't know, it echoes Vertigo, and it, you have mm -hmm. this constant sense of. Of that, or the films that Wong Kar Wai made mm -hmm. in, uh, yeah. in Hong Kong called Fallen Fallen Angels. Uh -huh. uh, these um, these films, uh, another film never released here called Mystery that has 
one of these noir plots. You keep going, you keep peeling away an onion to find more and more, um, you know, corruption. So, uh, you know, film noir is a kind of great instrument uh, to explore psychology as it's created by particular circumstances, you know? Yeah. I mean, what's, what's it like, you know, to be in a, in a um, place that's a one-party system, incredibly booming in terms of prosperity like China, yet at the same time with lots of corruption. Or, yeah. or in a place like contemporary Cuba that's going nowhere. Yeah. Um, and it's this incredibly decadent environment that, that is uh, almost calling out to be photographed. Yeah, you know, yeah. um, as as, as are. so I'm I'm really um, heartened, uh, you know, by by that that the noir has become um, a kind of uh, you know intellectual language. Uh, yes, yes. I, what I think is interesting too is I've noticed in the last few years um, a lot of noir that is. You sort of think of it as something that's more for grown-ups. It's more grown-up movies, mm-hmm. not really kids' movies that mm-hmm. are noir. But now you have things like Riverdale mm-hmm. on CW or Sabrina, the, the new Sabrina, that are heavily steeped in noir and are clearly for kids. I mean, you know, teenagers, twenty-somethings, but they're being made by people my generation. Right. Right who grew up with, you know, noir and going to film school and all of that and have, you know, uh, uh, are now running things and are putting noir into things that would normally be, you know, yeah. reserved for grown-ups but are now, you know, appearing in kids' fair, you know. Well, yeah, yeah, and that's, that, again, that's just become, it's become part of our overall cinematic language yeah. that, that many of the, the, the noir the noir tropes uh, since also there have been TV series that are strong on that so it's not as if you have to watch uh, the Maltese Falcon right. on TCM I mean, yeah. you can, although I recommend doing it if it well, is if it me is too me, you know, yeah. me, me too because, because again uh, uh, younger people may uh, not even know the degree to which what they're watching, and they may well, like a great deal. Yeah, you know, yeah. It is part of a yeah. A, a, it's it's part of a tradition that people yeah. are working with. No, them. in fact, um, I I one of the things that I that I liked about uh, that show Riverdale is every episode is almost every episode is named for a movie, and one of the episodes was in a lonely place. Okay, and I thought. There is not a teenager out there watching this who knows what that is. I mean, maybe there is. I shouldn't say there isn't. But, but I thought that's, that is a very kind of lofty ref- reference to make that is a clear film noir, um, but is sort of a, a slightly off the beaten path noir in that it's not really, you know, it's a Hollywood noir. Well, you know, but, but that's, um, how shall I put it? Uh, the American entertainment industry, except on awards nights, except yeah. on awards nights, protects itself so it can so it can market its materials. Mm-hmm. Protects itself by never appearing to be an intellectual. Okay, 
but that's a that's actually a carefully you know constructed image because if you really go into the writers rooms or with people you're talking about people the successful people who are capable of writing these kinds of things they're deeply steeped in all of these mm -hmm. you know in all of these materials the degree to which i mean to, you know the degree to which uh, something like, you know, over 25 years now, The Simpsons is as as referential yes. to film history as yes. well as every other cultural phenomenon. Yes. But, you know, that doesn't mean that if you don't know that stuff, you can still laugh at Homer Simpson yeah. and all the other characters um, and all of that. But if you do know it, you'll watch an episode and they said, wait a minute, there's a vertigo joke or a rear window joke every yeah. Every three minutes in this yeah. in this episode, so 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 uh, that's you know that's part of our of our new world, just having this huge archive of materials that, because of streaming, because of DVDs, um, uh, because of you know how many hard drives can you have at home, right. uh, you know to to do that, and all this stuff. Uh, you know, is is available, and you don't have to learn it in a linear way. Yeah, I mean, you can kind of—it's kind of this giant digital archive or buffet, you could even say, mm -hmm. of, of mixing and matching. Uh, and you know, so your mother never puts sushi on the same plate with ice cream, but you can do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm, not, yeah. I'm, I'm not recommending yeah. that, but the point is that you're. But but, yeah. but 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 you know, that may not be the dish I want to serve. Yeah. Uh, but but uh, but but it's all you know, sort of available now. Yeah. Uh, well, thank you. This has been a wonderful discussion about film noir. And I, I want to thank you for coming. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just end on a, um, just a quick anecdote that I had a mentor in college. Uh, I did not go to, to City College, but my mentor had gone to City College. And so one day he was coming to New York. We remained friends through, through, his, through his life. And he called me and he said, oh, well, where did I catch you? I said, oh, you caught me in my office in Shepherd Hall. And he was silent. And I said, Larry, are you, are you still there? He said, no, it's just that I had all my classes in Shepherd Hall. <laughs> so I'm feeling, I'm feeling that some 20 years later, Emmy, that I'm, 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 I'm taking a slightly different role <laughs> in, this, in this ongoing cycle of people who pass through Shepherd Hall yes. and, 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 and talk about novels and movies and things like that. Yes. So thanks, thanks for dropping by. I'm, yeah. I'm you know, always, glad to, always glad to see you, and we're, neither of us are going to blink and count years. <laughs> but it was really a pleasure having you, having you. Having you here in good old Shepherd Hall at yes, the City College. Yes, it was wonderful. Thank you very much. Okay. Thank you for listening to The Real Woman Podcast. Please join me next week when I conclude my New York series with an interview with the legendary DJ Rob Swift as we talk about the classic hip-hop film Wild Style. Thank you. Good night. <laughs>